If you have your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 is where we are going to spend some time together today. You know, there's something about a name. My name is Joel. My middle name is William. Uh, my grandfather's name was William. Uh, my last name is Cogdell. And it's uh, interesting, you know, sometimes we'll, people will pronounce my name in funny ways. Sometimes they'll say Cogdell. Sometimes they'll say Cogdale. Um, I had a basketball coach one time that called me Cogdell. Cogdell. Um, but there's something about a name that says something about who you are. Some people's names are funny. Some people find their names embarrassing. Uh, some people change their names over and over. Uh, Ron Artest, for example, some of you know uh, NBA player Ron Artest. He played a few years for the Indiana Pacers, is infamously known for the malice in the palace of uh, getting in a fight with, uh, with fans in the stands. It was this ugly scene. But in 2011, he changed his name to Meta World Peace. Now, when I first heard that, I thought it was a joke, but, but he was being for real. Um, in 2014, he went overseas to play in China, and he changed his name. He wanted to be called the Panda's Friend. Okay? He even put it on his jersey, the Panda's Friend. Well, in 2020, he changed his name again to Meta Sandiford Artest. I wonder what he's going to be called next. Your guess is as good as mine. Other people are known by just one name, Tiger, Madonna, Oprah, Bono, Prince, Giselle, Adele, Beyonce, Rihanna, Drake, Elvis, LeBron. Some cities are known by nicknames, the Windy City, Sin City, Music City, the Motor City, the Big Apple, the Emerald City, the Big Easy. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, John records Jesus' words to a church in Asia Minor in a city known as Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia in modern-day Turkey. It's a city that's in a bit of an identity crisis because it had been named and renamed several times. Uh, Philadelphia's geography is unique because it's set on a geological fault line, and so earthquakes and volcanoes generated constant fear of forced evacuations, unexpected death and devastation, and constant rebuilding. Every time the city had to be rebuilt, Rome would rename it. So in the first century, the city was also known as New Caesar and Flavia. And Jesus writes incredibly meaningful words to a city that's living with an ever-changing sense of identity. They're facing the anxiety of an ever-shifting earth, and they're facing the everyday reality of unrelenting persecution. So imagine sitting in church on Sunday in the city of Philadelphia when the pastor stands and he reads these particular words to his church. Revelation 3, verse 12. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Jesus says, I will change your name to an unchanging name one that has and will stand forever. You will live in and you will be citizens of an eternal city that cannot be shaken. You will never have to move. You will never have to hide. You'll never have to evacuate. You'll never have to pack up, 
pick up, build up, rebuild, leave ever again. Can you imagine sitting in that little congregation, hearing those words read to you from the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's read the whole letter together. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have very little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this letter, I want you to first notice that Jesus opens doors. Jesus opens doors doors. Look at the way that John starts the letter. Verse 7 reads, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Jesus says, that's my name, holy and true. I am the transcendent one. I am the unchanging one. I am the eternal one. I have an incredible view from above. I see all things. I know all things. I am the real deal. You can trust what I'm going to say. I am sovereign. I hold the key of David. In Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, a prophecy is recorded that the coming Messiah would hold the key. It said, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus says, I hold the keys to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will make its home in any willing heart. I hold the keys to life and death. I hold the keys to heaven and hell. At my discretion, I open doors and I close them as well. No one can lock what I've opened and no one can pry open what I've shut. So if that's true of Jesus, then then why can't we see open doors? As I studied this passage, I I thought to myself, you know, we miss so much when we try to go our own way. We have a Savior who is holy and true, who's opening doors for us, yet we still go our own way. We knock over barriers that he set up. We try to force our way through doors that are locked. And God oftentimes tries to get our attention and lead us through another door, but we can't hear him because we're so obsessed with trying to figure out to open a door that's already been closed. 
We try all kinds of combinations, all kinds of keys, and we stand there banging our head against the door because that's the one that we want to walk through. Why else can't we see open doors? Sometimes it's because of disappointment. We've been disappointed by maybe our our parents or our friends. We've been disappointed in the past by the church or, or certain leaders. Or we, we've seen unfaithful Christians. We've seen people who, who claim the name of Christ, but, but they live their lives in a way that, that doesn't look very Christ-like, and, and we see them, and we become jaded. We, we become cynical. And so we're not really paying attention to what God is doing in the world because we're hurt. Or, or maybe it's because we have endured crisis after crisis, and, and we just can't seem to, to look beyond ourselves at what God's doing in the world. You know, so sometimes... It's because we, we, we get enticed by sin, and, and we give in to that sin, and then sin overtakes us, and we become spiritually blind. We can't see anything. We can't see what God's doing because sin has blinded us. And sometimes it's just the product of living in a normal American life, where we embrace the values of this world, which are not the values of the kingdom. And we just kind of live this, this complacent, mediocre life. And it's real easy to forget God. And we become a lot like the church in Sardis that we looked at last week. But Jesus says, come on, I know what's best. I have this incredible view from above. So trust me when I open a door. Step through it and follow me. You ever notice how so many people say that they want to find God's will for their life? They say, I've been looking for signs. I've been looking for signals. You know, I woke up today at 747. Does that mean I'm supposed to get on a flight? You know, that sort of stuff. They rack their brains. They, they start trying to unscramble license plates or they open up the newspaper and they're circling headlines and, and drawing lines to different things and they're trying to figure out what, what's God trying to say to me? Or they think that God's will is like looking at an ink blot test. You know, what, what is that? What, what, what do I see? Or, or it's like completing a, a Where's Waldo puzzle. But it's, It's not about finding God's will, it's about following God's voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and what? They follow me. Jesus says, just follow me when I open a door. You ever notice uh, in the NFL, after a play, a quarterback will will, will take his hands and, and put it over kind of the ear holes of his helmet, kind of hold it like that. He's not doing it because he's dazed, but there's a, there's a little speaker in there, and he's listening to the offensive coordinator, who oftentimes is sitting up in the press box. He sits way up there where he has this incredible view of the whole field. And up there, he can see things that coaches on the sidelines can't see. And from up there, he can see things that even players on the field can't see. And so all the quarterback has to do is listen to the voice in his helmet and follow it. Jesus says, I am holy and trustworthy, and I've got an incredible view from above. Just follow my voice. So Jesus opens doors, but but Jesus also calls us to walk through open doors. Some of you probably know who uh, Jake Pegg is. Uh, Jake serves on the Wabash Fire Department, and uh, his wife Kristen and their two kids are a part of our Bachelor Creek family. Jake was telling me that uh, a few years ago that someone challenged him in his commitment to Christ. 
and really encouraged him to, to take seriously the call of Christ on his life. And as he began to answer that call, he really began to, to seek God, to listen and, and to follow his voice. And he said as he began to do that, he began to see doors opening up in his life. Uh, a door opened up for, for Jake to serve on a Bachelor Creek mission trip to Guatemala. And, and on that trip, his passion for ministry was really ignited. He mentioned how uh, Aaron French had approached him about being involved with Youth for Christ. And about the time he was going to get started, COVID kind of shut everything down, which closed that door temporarily. But a door opened for him to get involved in, in coaching football. And, and, and through coaching, he was interacting with, with a player, a, a student, who was at a really uh, hard place in his life, faced a crisis that Jake could relate with, and, and Jake found himself walking alongside this player, ministering to him, counseling him, walking with him, and through that, Jake realized that God was calling him to work with youth. Well, as COVID restrictions began to, to loosen up a little bit, Campus Life resumed, and uh, Jake started volunteering weekly with Campus Life. And shortly after he got involved, there was a transition in leadership, and, and Jake found himself in the position where he was suddenly asked to be the, the campus life director at Wabash High School. And Jake walked through that door. And Jake says that, that they're now praying for, for more doors to open so that they can have a campus life presence at Wabash Middle School in Northfield, along with the presence that already exists at Southwood and Wabash High. And Jake would be the first person to tell you it's not about him. And it is not only him. He's got a great crew of adults that, that serve alongside and volunteer with him. His wife, Kristen, uh, Nate Plyler, Abby Zerfus from Bachelor Creek, as long as a, a, along with a, a number of other adults from, from other churches that, that are volunteering in this ministry. And I share that with you because I want you to realize that there are open doors all around us. It's not tough to find God's will for your life. It's not rocket science. It's not calculus. Just look to your neighborhoods. Look to your coworkers. Look to mission trip opportunities. We have an opportunity coming up to, to serve on, on a mission trip to, to Guatemala. For, for some of you, that's a door that God has opened. Look at serving opportunities. There, there are so many serving opportunities within Bachelor Creek and, and within our community. There are open doors all around us. We just have to be willing to follow God's voice and walk through the door that is opened by the one who holds the keys. So Jesus opens doors. Jesus calls us to walk through open doors. But I find this really encouraging is that Jesus gives us the strength to take the next step. In verse 8, Jesus says, I know your deeds. In every one of the letters in Revelation 2 and 3, with the exception to the letter to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your deeds. And usually he goes on to rebuke them for, for what they're doing or what they're not doing. There, there's some sort of condemnation, but not with Philadelphia. Jesus has no words of rebuke for this church. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus says, I know how faithful and how resilient you are. I see your courage every single day. I know humility when I see it. I know that most of you are poor 
You may not be the biggest and the strongest and the richest church on the planet, but I'm going to use you in powerful ways because you depend on me. Never forget that when you're weak, I am strong, and my strength is going to be displayed through your church. I have opened up a door in front of you, and no one can shut that door. Philadelphia is the church of the open door. I believe the greatest thing about the church in Philadelphia is its great opportunity. Think about, there have been so many American churches that have had greater opportunities than us, right? Think about churches that are, that are located in, in thriving, bustling, growing metropolitan cities. And then you look at us and we're on the outskirts of small Wabash. There are so many churches and, and very wealthy communities full of, of people with, with, with great means, but, but we're a church that's largely made of people of, of average wages. You think of, of so many churches that have the support of, of denominations and, and large mega ministries, but we're an independent, non-denominational church. You think of, of all those churches that are located in areas of influence. Wabash, or Washington, D.C. In, in politics, or New York in the media, or Los Angeles and Hollywood in, in the movie industry, or, or Nashville in music. Bachelor Creek is an unusual church because we're in a very unusual place. This isn't a place that anyone would select to build a great church, but God has done it. And that's why I believe that God's vision must be our vision because God saw us long before we saw him. And God saw what we could do long before an open door of opportunity was seen by us. And this is the kind of church that, that Jesus is speaking to in Revelation 3. It's a church with, with very little strength according to, to worldly standards. And so if we're going to be effective... The key is to realize how little our strength is and to stay dependent on the one who has the strength, the holy one, the true one, the one who holds the keys, Jesus. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be well-known in order to be effective. You just have to follow his voice. We talked about the unique location of Philadelphia. It was located on the edge of a great plain that the locals referred to as the burned land because it was this great volcanic plain that, was, that had the marks of, of lava flow and, and ashes of volcanoes. And the people in Philadelphia were constantly depressed after a massive earthquake in AD 17 rocked the city. And after that, regularly, yearly, they faced earthquakes. Can you imagine that your house was destroyed every year and you'd have to rebuild it? Would you get discouraged and give up? Every time there was an earthquake, you'd be reminded of past destruction. So instead of an open door of opportunity, it would seem to me that the people of Philadelphia would have seen a different door. That they would have seen a, a door of fear that they would have seen a door of, of pessimism, that they would have seen a door of defeat. Yet in this city was a church that had done more for God than any of the other seven churches in Revelation. 
They were faithful to Christ. Christ had no words of condemnation against them. No reference of their sin. See, the challenge for this church was not their sin. The challenge for Philadelphia was their future. Would they go through the door that Jesus was holding open for them? Jesus opens doors. He calls us to walk through open doors. He gives us the strength to take the next step. But we need to be aware that open doors often lead to persecution. You know, one of the problems with open doors is that they tend to let the flies in, right? When God opened the door for the church in Philadelphia, they got more than just an annoyance. They faced persecution. And because of that, Jesus tells them, I know all about your persecution. And eventually, I'm going to settle the score. The ones who are persecuting you, they will be exposed for who they really are. The people that Jesus is talking about were mentioned in the letter to the church in Smyrna. They were wreaking the the same havoc there. And in verse 9, Jesus says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Jesus says, they don't know God. They're fake. In fact, they're playing for the other team. They lie because their father is the father of lies. But you can rest assured that I'm going to bring them down. You don't have to take this upon yourselves. Let me take care of it. One day, they will clearly see that I have loved you. Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, we don't really know what that refers to specifically. Uh, Some people believe that it's referring to a specific period of tribulation. Or it could simply mean that that Jesus is saying that that life is going to get worse for everyone. But either way, Jesus encourages them that he will be with them. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He says, don't let anyone or anything force you to live a defeated life. You choose joy every single day. Don't huddle in hiding Don't get spiritually claustrophobic. No, keep the same attitude that you've had from the beginning. Be hope-filled and walk through the door that I have placed open for you. I think it's a good thing to remember that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. And that's why I think it's important for us to read and reread Romans 8 on a regular basis. And sometimes just hearing it from a little different perspective can, can ignite things in your brain. Let me read how the message puts it. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. 
I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable. I believe the challenge that the church in Philadelphia faced is the same challenge that Bachelor Creek faces today. Our challenge is the future. I want to encourage you, don't be defeated by the atmosphere of a small town like Wabash. Don't think that because of of where we're located that we can't do anything, that God can't do anything. Don't become pessimistic because of your family or your friends. No, look to Jesus, the one who opens up the door for you and for our church. Don't allow Satan or critics or anyone to imprison your mind. If Bachelor Creek is going to be a church that is for Wabash and for our world, then we must have people who have the faith to step through open doors because we believe that the best is yet to come. We believe it with all of our heart. And we're willing to take that next step through the door. What is the door that Jesus has opened up for you in your life? And what will it take to move through that door? You know, I find that people usually make a decision to follow God when one of several things happens. Sometimes it's when a person is just fed up with the oppression of sin. They feel so shackled and so chained, and they're tired of this miserable existence, and they want to move forward. Or they get to a place where they're sick and tired of mediocrity. They're tired of the mundane. They're tired of a life that is void of purpose, and they just know that there's got to be more to life, and they want to do something with God. Or they they spend enough time in Scripture and God's Word that they begin to understand the character of God, the heart of God, the call of God in their life that they want to march forward. Or sometimes it's it's like Jake, where, where another Christian challenges them in their commitment to Christ to take up their cross and follow Jesus wherever that may be, wherever that door leads. Suppose for a moment that someone told you that there's a new house at the end of the street. And suppose that they told you that you could have it. It's yours. All you have to do is walk through the open front door and it's yours. What would you do? Some might say, "Ah, that sounds too good to be true. I don't believe you. There's no way that's true. Some would say, well, you know, I just don't have the money. Some would say, you don't really mean that. What's the catch? There's got to be a catch. Some of you would say, no, no, I, I, I just can't accept it. If someone offers you a new house, simply just for walking through the open door, don't think about it, don't analyze it, don't ask if it's the right color or if you like the furnishings, just walk through the door. What door has God opened for you? What, what should our walk look like? How should we walk? First, walk immediately. Don't procrastinate. Don't make excuses, but immediately do God's will. Second, walk obediently. Don't doubt the Lord. Don't second-guess God, but follow him in faith. Third, walk joyfully. If God has opened up the door, Remember and understand the heart of God. He is a good God who loves you, and he has good things waiting for you on the other side. 
Fourth, walk confidently. If God has opened up the door, he's not going to slam it. He's not going to shut it in your face. You can walk boldly. And then number five, walk expectantly. If God has opened up the door, he's going to help you get through, and he's going to show you what to do once you get through on the other side. That's why we call it walking by faith. It's one foot in front of the other. I'm convinced that if we saw the end from the beginning, we would all be paralyzed in fear and none of us would move. We would be scared to death. But God asks us to take one step of faith and once we take that next that step, he shows us where to step next. And it's one foot in front of the other, one step after another. So Jesus writes to this little church in the city of Philadelphia. He tells them nothing is going to shake them loose from him. And I want you to see what he promises these Christians that are living in a city that's under a constant threat of volcanoes and earthquakes and constantly being rebuilt in verse 12. The one, is victor- the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Jesus says, stand firm. Depend upon me and walk through the door that I have opened for you. When all is said and done, you'll still be standing in a new city with a new name. He goes on to say, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. There's just something about a name. Can you imagine what it meant for these people? Can you appreciate what it means to you when Jesus says, I will write that name, my name, on you? There's something in a name. It gives us a new identity. The great news is we have a new name. And we're going to live in a new city that cannot be shaken. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. God, I pray that whatever it is that is keeping us from looking ahead, that we would be made aware of that. God, that you would get us to the point where if it's sin, we would be so sick of of living in sin that we would turn to you. If it's complacency, God, that you would challenge us and you would ignite a passion within us to see what you're doing in this world. God, whatever it is, would we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have for this church and what you would have for us individually. God, I pray that we would be looking for doors that are open and that we would realize that we don't have to do this on our own, but that you give us the strength we need to take those steps, that we would go through that door in obedience to you. God, there is nothing more exciting and energizing than knowing that we are being used by you, that we are listening for your voice, and we are following you. God, stir up within us a passion to live our lives in service to you. God, we know that when we do that, you will do great things. Thank you for putting us here in this place at this time for this purpose, to reach the people you have called us to reach. Give us fresh eyes. Would we realize, God, that you have called us to be for our community, to be for the world, 
one of the greatest open doors we can walk through is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear it. I pray that that would fill us up. God, if there's anybody here today who's not walked through the the open door of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ, God, I pray today would be the day they throw everything else aside and they walk through that door and they accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. For some people, that door that that Christ has been holding open for a long time is, is that door of baptism. God, if there's anybody who needs to walk through that door, God, I pray today would be the day that they do it. And I pray that all of us would live lives of obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.